for our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to the letter of James. I will be looking at a portion of James chapter 5 together. Uh, so we'll be reading from James 5 from verse 7 through verse 12. James chapter 5 beginning at verse 7 to the end of verse 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, if you were to go to your doctor in this coming week and, and say, to, say to him, Doctor, I, I need your help. I was watching a television this week and I, I saw people running a marathon. I want to run a marathon. I, I want to run a marathon next week. So what can you give me so that I can run that marathon? The doctor's probably going to have some advice for you that you don't really want to hear. Because the answer is not to give you a, a pill of some sort to enable you to, to immediately run that marathon, but he's going to point you to a road that looks a little bit more difficult, a little bit more painful, a road that's going to take patience, that's going to take steadfastness. Because you might look in, in a running magazine or, or see Runners crossing the finish line and, and think, that, that looks wonderful. I, I, want, I want that. But I don't want to put that work in. The doctor's going to say, well, that's, that's not the way it works. Likewise, Dr. James, the writer of this letter, the letter to James, the letter of James, rather, James, the brother of the Lord, he's writing to the church and throughout this letter, there's been this focus on growing to maturity, uh, in growing in Christian character. How, how is it that we go through life growing more Christ-like? Often, when we look around, we, we perhaps see someone who has a beautiful Christ-like life. We see someone who's, who's walking in, 
great maturity and we say, I, I, want, I want that. I want that patience and I want that steadfastness and I, I want it now. James says, that's not the way it works, brothers. It's not the way it works, sisters. James writes to the church in light of what Christ has already done, teaching us how, how is it that you live? How is it that you grow more and more into the image, into the likeness of Christ? How is it that you grow in maturity? It's a doctrine of process and growth. It requires patience. Because we don't drift into holiness. We're not wafted there by some heavenly visitation. We, we grow in maturity and holiness. We grow in Christ's likeness. So James calls for patience, calls for the church to be patient to the end. And we're going to look first of all at, at that call to be patient to the end, in the first few verses of our text, and, and then at in the end of the verse, or the end of the verses rather, to be steadfast to the end. Or you could think of it in this way, first of all, what is happening to you, and second, what is happening in you. So, consider what is happening to you, as James calls us to be patient to the end. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. James begins with a, an illustration here, a humble, down-to-earth illustration that maybe many of us here are familiar with. There's seems quite a lot of farming and greenhouses in this area, and if you know a patient farmer, what is it that enables him to be patient? That farmer is only patient as he looks to the harvest. There's many farmers that, that are not patient, and that usually takes place when they take their eye off the harvest and start worrying about many things many things along the way. So James, James uses this picture, this picture of patience, a, a farmer who's looking towards the harvest. But in the meantime, he, he knows that he needs, this, he needs rain. He needs the early rain when, when the seed is going into the ground to help that seed germinate and start growing. If he doesn't get that, the crop's going to be ruined. He needs the late rain, that as this crop grows and matures, that it gets the moisture it needs, that the grain can, can head out in, in all its fullness. And throughout this process, the farmer works, he toils. But if he's truly patient, he recognizes that there's many things outside of his control, many things that, that he can't change, many things that, that he must take by faith, many things that require patience as he looks to that harvest, as he looks to that day when, when all, of, all of that planting and, and work is seen as worth it, as wonderful, on that day when the harvest is, is gathered in. So James says, be patient. But what are we being 
patient for. The, the farmer has that day of, of harvest in mind. And James is a day of even greater harvest in mind. How, how is it that you can be patient amidst the uncertainties of life, in the midst of at times drought or uncertainty or difficulties? Only as we look to that harvest, to the fruit. Be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. When we look through the timeline of the church, there's, there's many great events. We see creation. We, we see the monarchy. We see King, King David, King Solomon. We see these prophets pointing forward this great event, the coming of Christ. And the next great event on the church calendar for you and I is the coming of the Lord, the return of Christ. That's, that's the next great event. That's what we're looking forward to. And at times, it's, it's hard to be patient. It's hard to, hard to keep looking to that because we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. We're called to be patient. Peter reminds us uh, that the Lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. What, what seems to us like a great deal of time is to the Lord just, just a small, small amount of time. But we're called to be, to be patient because that, that next great event is the coming of the Lord. Perhaps we sometimes lose sight of that. Perhaps we go through life and there's, there's many wonderful things on the way. There's, there's many beautiful things, many wonderful blessings, food, fellowship, friendship, the beauty of creation. And, and sometimes, sometimes we find ourselves, instead of looking to that harvest, looking to many other things. Perhaps we don't long for the coming of the Lord as much as the church has at times in the past. When you read through the New Testament, you're struck again and again by this longing for the coming of the Lord. Consider the, the church, the Thessalonian church. As Paul writes to the Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 1, he says there's this there's a report about you. They themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And I sometimes wonder how, how often would we be described like the church in Thessalonica, a, a church who's been delivered and who's waiting, who's longing for the Son to come. The church in Thessalonica actually had a, a, a real worry, a real concern, because they, they were looking so focused towards the coming of Christ, so anxiously, that they were worried what about our brothers and sisters who've, who've died? 
Christ is coming. We're, we're looking for his coming. We're living for his coming. But, but what about for, for grandma? What about for my, my father? What if they've missed out? And so Paul has to, has to remind them that if we die in Christ, we're also raised with Christ. We'll, we'll meet Christ in the air and we'll be with Christ. We won't miss out on that day. Paul himself, again and again, reminds us his citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven in Philippians 3, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Or we think of the the end of Revelation. Dr. Vanema looked at the beginning of Revelation of this morning, the end of Revelation, almost the last words, come Lord Jesus. Because that's, that's the harvest. That's the day of, of longing, the day, the day that we wait for. Do you long for that day? And do you long for that day for the right reason? Sometimes when things get difficult, we we tend to think more, I, I can't wait for Christ to come back so that I won't have to go through this anymore. But that's, that's not why we should long for the coming of Christ. We shouldn't be longing for the coming of Christ to escape the difficulties of the world. That might contribute to that longing, but, but that shouldn't be our main reason. Just like when you're having a hard day at work, you're going to go home to, to the family. Your longing to go home isn't, isn't just because work was so miserable today that you go home and say, well, I'm glad to see you, dear, because oh, work, was, work was bad. No, you, you want to go home because you love your family. That's what makes you want to, to go home. That's what makes you want to, to gather with your family after a time apart, not because of the difficulties of, of life pushing you towards them, but your love for them drawing you. Just like we shouldn't be pushed by the difficulties of life on earth, but we should be drawn by love for our Savior. But in the meantime, James calls for patience because he knows that we're not naturally patient. He calls us to establish our hearts. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Several verses earlier in his warning to those who'd lost sight of the day of the Lord and and were living for the here and now, he warns them, "You've, you've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've lost sight of of the thing that should be the longing of your heart and you've allowed your hearts to be filled with all sorts of luxuries, pleasures, and desires. James calls us to establish our hearts because he knows how easily we look away. And what happens when we lose sight of the coming of the Lord? We lose sight of our Savior. There's a warning against grumbling in verse 9. 
you know how when you're on a road trip, the last few miles can be the most difficult. You're almost home, you're in the last few miles, the end is almost in sight, and, and yet how easy it is to start grumbling, for the, the kids in the back to start, to start grumbling and, and complaining and fighting. Are, are we almost there yet? He's, he touched me. She's in my space. She's in my seat. There's grumbling. And that happens in the church too when we lose sight of the fact that the Lord is coming. We're almost at, at that finish line. We're living in the last days, called to, called to patience as we await the harvest. When we lose sight of that, we grumble. In the very circumstances that call for patience, the difficulties of life that, that require patience become the circumstance for grumbling. Now, you know how easy this is. You have a hard day at work. You come home and you grumble. You have a difficult day at school or in the home and, and you, you find yourself grumbling. And James is concerned that rather than show that patient, steadfast, mature character formed and, formed and forged in the circumstances of life, that as we take our eye off of the Savior, rather than waiting in patience, rather than looking to His coming, those circumstances become the occasion for grumbling. Are we waiting patiently? I don't know you well. You don't know me. But you, you know your own circumstance. You know your own heart. There's been difficulties in recent days, in recent years. There's been difficulties as long as we live in the last days, but, but how are you responding to them? With grumbling? With patience. Looking to the coming of the Lord, keeping an eye on the return of Christ. As he warns against grumbling, James reminds us that the Lord is near. The judge is at the door. As Jesus has said, one day you will have to give an account for every careless word that you have spoken. The Lord is near. So let this put a stop to our using words to, to grumble, to complain, to tear, to tear down, to bite and devour. The judge is standing at the door. I think there's two things we can consider here as, as we have this picture of the judge standing at the door. James has been giving a lot of warnings. We, we didn't read the passage right before, but it's, it's a passage of incredible warning against those who've, by their life, rejected the Son, who've embraced the world and, and all its riches and, and reject the Son. There's this, this warning, weep and wail, weep and howl, James has said. There's, there's a warning. 
And now in our text, James reminds us that the judge is standing at the door. So if by our words and actions we, we show that we have no love for Christ, that we will not have this man to rule over us, that we reject the Son, then that is a word of warning that the judge is coming. A word of warning, even as Jesus says, by your fruit you will be known, that if by our words and by our actions we, we reject the Son, well, the coming of the Lord is a day of terror, day of judgment. So we, we can look at this as a warning to unbelievers, those who reject Christ by word and deed. But James puts this in his word to the brothers. As, you've been, as we read through that text again and again, three times, James says, brothers, brothers. He's, he's speaking to the church, and he's giving a word of warning to the church. Remind us that Christ is coming. To remind us that in our words we're to use words that, that reflect the glory of Christ, the goodness of Christ, to put a rein on the tongue. Because when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers in Christ, we're saved by, by the blood of Christ alone, by Christ our Savior. So when we stand before the judgment seat, it's not our salvation in jeopardy. That's secure in, in Christ, not earned by our words, only found in Christ. But Paul reminds us, as Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 10, it's, it's the reward that's in view. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The question of how have you used the talents that you were given? In times that call for patience, did your words serve for the glory of God, did talents invested for kingdom service, or talents buried? The circumstances that call for patient service Difficult providences, are they wasted by sins of the tongue? Or are they turned to the glory of God in patience and trust? To be patient is to see life in light of the harvest. Therefore, it does not need to retaliate, to grumble, to tear down. We have a call to be patient as you look to what will happen to you, Christ's return. But then in verses 10 through verse 12, James also calls us to be steadfast to the end. And here, consider what is happening in you. What is Christ doing in you? In these circumstances, you have the example of the prophets. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. 
Look at the prophets, James says. You have this example. You have those who've gone before, those who've finished their race, and you see what God was doing in them, what the Lord worked in them in those times of difficulty. Because your problem is so often that you don't trust that God is doing that in your case. We so easily forget that God is doing that in our case as well. And so, for instance, you... So we respond poorly. So, for, for instance, you have a difficult situation at home, in the family, and, and you respond with impatience, with anger. You, you lash out. And you say afterwards, I, I don't know what came over, what happened. I don't know what came over me. I'm, I'm usually a patient person. When the reality is that you're an impatient person who hadn't been tested. And that circumstance revealed that impatience. Like a, a sponge sitting by the kitchen sink. When you, when you pick it up and squeeze it, you, you see what's inside, whether it's clear, refreshing, clean water, or whether it's the dishwater that's been used, it, it's revealed. And it's not in spite of the difficult situations that Christ works in us, it's through those circumstances, through those hard times, the, the hard times. There'll be times of growth, times of testing, times of of growing. And we're given the example of the prophets, given the example of of Job, to see so clearly what God was working in them. When we forget that God is doing the same in us. As one author writes, providence, like the Hebrew alphabet, must be read backwards to make sense. When you read Hebrew, you, you read it backwards from English or, or the other direction from English. Rather than left to right, you read right to left. When you read providence, sometimes it's very difficult to see what is God doing. So we're given the example of someone like Job, the prophets, where we can see what God is doing, see the faithfulness of God, the Lord working steadfastness, steadfastness. It's a word that James has used in chapter 1 as well. It's a, a word that means to remain under. It's the sort of picture of a, a weightlifter. He's standing under a bar, and he might be shaking. His, his knees might be wobbling. It, it might look like he's going to collapse, but that steadfastness is that remaining under, that standing under. And so the, the weightlifter, he might start with a smaller bar, but he, he grows as he's tested. He grows in steadfastness, in the ability to stick with it, to remain under it. And that's that steadfast, steadfastness that God is working through times of difficulty. Think of, of Job, 
in the midst of affliction. We'd have to look to the New Testament to see an, an example of more painful, undeserved suffering. And at, at times, it looks like Job is, is going to collapse. He's going to collapse under the weight. His knees are shaking. He curses the day of his birth. Job chapter 3. Then you keep going through Job. We see these statements of faith. I know that my Redeemer lives in Job 19. We see this hope in the Lord. And then by Job 42, Job has seen the power of God. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. Repent in dust and ashes. He's strengthened, not in spite of his trials, but through his trials, as he looks to the Lord. And Job never sees the full purpose in the book of Job of what the Lord is doing in his suffering. You and I know that Job's suffering is to silence the mouth of the devil, to silence the accuser who's, who's come and accused Job and accused the Lord. Job's suffering serves to silence the accuser. That's the steadfastness that God is working in Job, that he's, he's standing under it. He doesn't know why. But as he sees the power of the Lord, he knows that the Lord is good. He's given as an example steadfastness. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've, seen, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the, compa- the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Perhaps you don't see the end result. What is the Lord doing in you? But can you trust the purpose of the Lord and what He's doing, not in spite of, but through the difficulties? He works steadfastness. But again, just as in verse 9, James was worried that grumbling would interrupt this opportunity for, for providence to be turned towards good. He's concerned again with what might prevent that growth in grace, that growth in steadfast character. Again, it's that little thing, the tongue. The tongue which grumbles in hard circumstances. And the tongue which seeks to get out from under the circumstances. Verse 12 can sometimes seem a a little bit sudden. So some commentators look at it and and say, I'm not really sure why this verse is, is here. Why? It seems a little bit abrupt. It doesn't seem to fit with what comes before or what comes after. But as we think through it, I I think it makes very good sense. James has been speaking of steadfastness. And then he he goes to this command, Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. How often 
when you find yourself in a tight spot, a sort of difficult situation that calls for steadfastness? Do you find yourself with a loose tongue? A loose tongue in a tight spot. You can think of the example of Peter. Perhaps as James writes, he's remembering the night the Lord was betrayed. Untested, Peter swore, even if all forsake you, Lord, I'll, I'll never leave you. And then a servant girl questions him. He calls down curses on himself. I, I never knew the man, he said. Rather than face the suffering that it might cause to be, to be associated with his Lord and Savior, he, he uses the tongue, he uses his words, he calls down judgment upon himself to get out from under it, rather than steadfastly to endure. Peter was forgiven by the Lord, but what sorrow, what bitter weeping. In the meantime, or you could think of the ways in which oaths were used to avoid having to follow through. The Jews of Jesus' time had an unfortunate reputation in the world in their use of oaths. They, they had a whole litany of things that you could swear by, but the trick was knowing which ones actually counted, because some of the oaths were, were ones that counted, and, and other ones were ones to just get out from under having to follow through with the commitment so that Jesus can, can proclaim as one of his woes in Matthew 23, woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. They had an unfortunate reputation as those whose word couldn't actually be trusted because they'd, they'd use words to get out from under it. So what is our witness? The Reformed Church, the world around looking, do they see steadfastness? Do they see those who will give their word and, and stick to it to their hurt? Showing steadfastness, Christ-like character? Or do they see seeking to get out from under the weight of following through? Amidst the pressure of life, it's easy to, to try to lie your way out of it. You see it easily in, in small children. You ask your son, did you, did you break the lamp? No. What lamp? I, I never saw a lamp. She, she did it. Sometimes you find yourself in a tight spot and doing the exact same thing. Why, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean... That, that, that's not quite what I said. I, I certainly never meant to follow through with that. I, I, we use our words at times in ways that, that undermine that steadfastness, that Christ-like character that James calls for. And so rather than, than abusing words, abusing Oaths or 
grumbling. James calls for patience. Patience as you look to the coming of the Lord, looking to the harvest. Be patient to the end. Consider what Christ is doing. Be steadfast to the end. Consider what Christ is doing in you, even now. What Christ-shaped character, what steadfastness is He working in you? May the Lord give us grace to endure, steadfast and steady, with heart and mouth fixed on Him. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God and Heavenly Father, you know how in the midst of the difficulties of life we're so easily tempted to, to be to impatience, seeking to get out from under the trials, the difficulties. And Father, give us patience to look to you and give us grace to be steadfast, to stand looking to you, not in spite of the difficulties, but looking to you with knowing what you are doing in the difficulties. Father, may we grow in Christian maturity day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.